Hi, I'm Cam. And I'm Katie. And this is the Nerdbook Review. Today, we're going to talk about His Majesty's Dragon by Naomi Novik. Yes, and a little editor's note here. This is our third go at this episode. We had the program crash the first time. And so it stopped recording in a second. Well, it actually didn't crash. It gave us... I think the computer was telling me, like, there was an update. So it paused the recording really early on, and we didn't find out for, like, 20 minutes. (laughs) And then I changed a setting that I should not have changed. And so it screwed up the microphone. It was picking up just weird stuff and cutting out in the middle of while we were talking if we weren't keeping our volume steady. Or loud. Loud. Like, I, I was barely even audible. Yeah. So yeah. if it sounds a little rehearsed, it's because we've probably said these things <laughs> to each other before now. Yes. So there's also the possibility this will be a little bit shorter of an episode because not only have we gone through it, and so it might sound a little bit more rehearsed than that, but it's also going to... We're not going to need to say some of the things the meandering way that I tend to go. I think I can be a little bit more focused this episode. Yeah, and he probably won't say British period drama as many times as he did last time, but we'll see. We'll see how many times he says British British period piece. (laughs) See if he can live up to his last couple. Let's see. So let's get into the book stats real quick. It is 353 softcover pages long. It is the first book in a series that so far contains nine books. It was her first novel, and it was nominated for a Hugo in 2007 for Best Novel. It did not win that, but it did win a Locus, which is another one of the bigger, more prestigious awards, for a Best First Novel. Mm-hmm. And I'll go ahead and read the book read synopsis. The Goodreads. <laughs> the Goodreads synopsis Is that again. not what I said? You said book reads. Well, maybe that's another website that I <laughs> discovered, and it could be better than Goodreads. So go ahead and go check out book reads dot pizza those are domains now did you know you can get a dot pizza domain you know i think you might have mentioned it before but that's yeah, ridiculous there's a, there's a guy that i listen to and his domain is dot pizza <laughs> i'm pretty sure it's for pizza places but i mean it might be cheaper who knows anyway i've read this before multiple times so yeah. many times now because it's also at the end of our last one so hopefully i can get it all at once Aerial combat brings a thrilling new dimension to the Napoleonic Wars as valiant warriors ride mighty fighting dragons bred for size or speed. When HMS Reliant captures a French frigate, is it frigate or frigate? Frigate. Okay, frigate, and seizes the precious cargo and unhatched dragon egg, Bates sweeps Captain Will Lawrence from his seafaring life into an uncertain future and an unexpected kinship with a most extraordinary creature. Thrust into the rarefied world of the aerial corpse as a master of the dragon temeraire, he will face a crash course in the daring tactics of airborne battle. For as France's own dragonborn forces rally to breach British soil in Bonaparte's boldest gambit, Lawrence and Temeraire must soar in their own baptism of fire. Oh man, that 16th time's a charm. (laughs) (laughs) It's only like the sixth. (laughs) Yes, so I'll give a quick my own take. I'll try to keep the British period pieces comment to one, maybe two. So That makes it three, though, because you just said it. That's the warning. I did. I'm sorry. With a stiff upper lip common to the British aristocracy in British period pieces everywhere, Captain Will Lawrence does his duty to king and country 
by giving up his aristocratic privileges and takes on a dragon that he captured from the French. He will have to adapt to the less refined company as he takes on a life in the aerial corpse. But he will gain friends and hell of a dragon along the way. So, let's get into our thoughts on the book. If you like British dramas set in the 1800s, <laughs> woo! didn't have the PP word, you're going to enjoy this book. If you have read Pride and Prejudice, uh, Sense and Sensibility, any of those kind of books, you're going to like this book. If you don't like those, you're not going to. There is always a British aristocrat who is very stodgy, who's just willing to do his duty for king and country. The suffering's a, a point of pride, and he's going to do it even though he doesn't have to because for king and country and all that good stuff. And in this one, that is the main character. And some of them, it's not the main character. This one, we are focusing on that person. Yes, it is. The, the, the suffering is its own character, as you like to say, too. If you don't like these kind of books, you're not going to like it. If you do, this is going to be an entertaining book. That's definitely not my favorite genre. It took me a bit of time to adjust and to actually get into it. But once I did, I really did enjoy it. So the form of the British period piece <laughs> type writing uh, definitely became part of the character. And I saw it as just the way he was and that it was fitting to the way he was. Yeah. Um, but I did notice throughout the book, there were so many semicolons. I don't know if I've ever seen so many in one place like that. And it wasn't out of place. It wasn't misused. It was mostly in dialogue. So it made sense. And it I mean, it didn't really bother me. It was just noticeable. Mm -hmm. I noticed it. Yep. So many semicolons. <laughs> I didn't actually notice that, but I'm not the kind of person that's going to notice those things. So I guess if you don't notice punctuation on a regular basis, it's okay. But if you do... You'd think that after, as we said, we've recorded this before, that I would have gone back and looked. I said I was going to at one one of the versions, but I never got around to that. <laughs> yeah, and I am the kind of person that there's a lesser used adjective that is used multiple times in a book and is not in some way trying to link those things in your mind bothers me. Mm -hmm. Like if it's not a word that you'd normally use, you should be using it for a specific reason. So if you notice that kind of stuff, you might notice the semicolons. Okay. And if you're like me, then you're not. But <laughs> what makes this different from your standard British period piece ooh. Ooh, is dragons. That's definitely, definitely the dragons. Definitely the dragons. I, I feel like if I had to put my finger on it, <laughs> it would be the dragons. Yeah, that's, I mean, otherwise you're just talking about another take on the Napoleonic Wars. I mean, he, he could have found a, I don't know, a, a rifle and had to join the army instead. I mean, but no, there's dragons. Yeah. I mean, it would have been a whole lot less cool of a story if you were trying to ride around on your rifle. Basically, at that point, you're just a weirdo that's riding around on a rifle. Like, uh, <laughs> probably goes against our demographic because they like the weirdos that play Quidditch and fields with brooms in between their legs. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like fun, but it also looks weird. Yeah. I mean, you know, we probably have some people that like that, so... I'm not against LARPing. <laughs> I've just never done it. It looks like fun. Yeah. But I also feel like the broom just gets in the way and makes it harder to play the sport. But then it's just another game. I mean, you have to have the broomstick. I guess so. 
<laughs> so, so go on, let's talk about those dragons. Oh, man, when they have VR Quidditch, that's when it's going to really hit. Oh, man. I wonder if you're going to, if you'd get like motion sickness though from that. Oh, my God. So, what you need is like a mechanical bull type apparatus that's a broom. Oh, man. That you hold on to with your VR set on, and then you can play Quidditch. And then obviously, you have to have like, you know, your glove things mm-hmm. so that you can pretend to catch and throw and. Oh, man, this is going to be awesome. Oh, yeah. We all know that we're literally only a few years away from something like this yeah. happening. So If it's not already in production, somebody do it now and then give it to me for free yeah. when you're done. Yep. So getting back to those dragons, <laughs> basically the dragons serve the kind of roles that the Air Force will serve in World War II. You're going to have your little courier dragons, I guess, then our main character, Temeraire, is a large, medium-sized dragon. He's basically there to fight other dragons, while the heavy, big dragons with special abilities try to actually do damage to the troops and fortifications of the enemy. Most dragons don't have any kind of special offensive ability, which I found super cool. Made the dragons a little bit easier to deal with. Um, I don't know that I would find it cool, but I found it that it made sense. Yeah. That if they all, like, breathed fire, then it would be too much. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you had Daenerys riding around with her three dragons, roasting the soldiers alive, you know, with three dragons. 10,000 people and one person. Yeah. Then it would basically, I mean, it wouldn't make a lot of sense for for this whole thing to even happen. Mm -hmm. Very few dragons actually have, you know, a special ability like breathing fire or spitting acid, or anything like that. Most of them are just there, and they're using their own, basically, claws or jaws to to do damage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did have a little bit of a problem. Maybe it's that I don't have a lot in my mind as a reference for what the dragons should look like, other than how to train your dragon, where they're not very big. Mm -hmm. But I had a really hard time envisioning them. I didn't think that the descriptions were super helpful, Sometimes it was just telling me about the coloration or that this dragon had bigger wings. At one point, I think of the main one, he said, like, his, he was perfectly proportioned wings to body. Like, I don't know what that means yeah. on a dragon. Yeah, well, it's really hard to to have a good descriptor, really, because there aren't jets or there aren't uh, airplanes. You know, there you can't say... It was my thing. It was your thing, but you didn't say it. <gasps> that was I was like, but you can't compare it to a 747 because it didn't exist. And he's like, you're right. Yeah, but you just said something different and didn't throw that in oh, this time. Oh man. So yeah, so but... but it needs to be said that these dragons are way bigger than you would think they are from oh, yeah. the way they're described. Huge. Yeah. So, so it, later it does start to tell you about like the crews that man them because yeah. they're the dragon's companion is an actual captain with. Like a whole crew on the dragon, and I did not realize that until yeah, because they'll they'll talk about like Temeraire is considered a large mid-sized dragon. He has uh, I think like thirteen crew, six actual riflemen that are up on top, and then Mm -hmm. there's a crew of three that stay on top of his back, a crew of three that go on below that are underneath in the under rigging, and then an armorer and a leather worker for his harness, and then the captain. Got to be like fifteen people. Yeah. So yeah. So, and even more than that when they're just ferrying around, you know. Mm-hmm. So, these dragons are considerably larger than you might think they are. Mm-hmm, I mean, definitely. the big ones have to have a couple hundred foot wingspan for the kind of crew that they're talking about. 
Yeah, well, and it does describe that for them to be on, they basically have aircraft carrier ships, yeah, especially for the dragons, and they have you know platforms and things that they can, yeah, float out there because they can't land on like even the large galleons. Ship. Yeah, yeah, like a ship of the line. They can't. They talk about they they risk tipping. What does them that over. mean? It said ship of the line a bunch of times. I have no idea what that means. Oh, they're the the big battleships basically of the time. No. See, in that time period, you just lined your ships up in a mm-hmm. in a, literally in a line, and you sailed past each other. Oh, so that you could all shoot. so you could all shoot right as you passed the other ones. So <laughs> the, they were called ships of the line because they were considered heavy duty <laughs> enough. So there would be other ships always with these bigger mm-hmm. ships but they didn't line up against the other ships of the line you back know, the, when there was a way to do war yeah and you had to follow those rules yeah unless so, you were napoleon and then yeah but so that's literally so cunning because yeah. he doesn't he doesn't follow all those rules <laughs> yes so as long as we're going back to our old uh, war history let's talk about I, you know what i'm gonna say it i just heard in one of my favorite podcasts and i uh revolutions hmm. And then another uh, thing that I looked up after that, Napoleon wasn't a tiny human being like he's always portrayed as. He was actually five foot seven, which was average height for a man at that time period. But he was little when he was younger. And when he went to the military academy, he was also from a little island called Corsica, which was not really part of France proper. So he was made fun of for being Corsican. Mm-hmm. So they called him the little emperor because he was imperious acting. So what's the average height for a male now? Uh, I think it depends on what uh, what race you are. They're like, like I think like somewhere between 5'10 and 6 foot. So you're like on the low end, statistically, yeah. like comparing the two. I'm basically You're like, like a Napoleon size. Yeah, I'm basically Napoleon size yeah. for that time period. So I should call you the little emperor? <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you want, dear. <laughs> I mean, it has emperor in it, so yeah. it can't be bad. Yeah, I'll take it. Let's go into the other uh, like kind of big uh, storyline here of the book. Is that going to the Dragon Corp, not a prestigious thing. It's not something that aristocrats generally want to do because the dragons they're going to take up all of your time. You can't really get married. You can't have a family or maintain your estates. You can't go to the opera like on a regular basis or whatever they do in their general social life. Yeah. You can't well, have di- fancy dinners and have all your friends over so you can actually not say any words like <laughs> of consequence about anything. Yes. So you can't talk around things. Mm-hmm. But because these dragons, as we said, they're massive and they're they're organized in fleets, just like you would imagine they would be ordered and organized like in World War Two. So you need a place where you can have all the resources and they're like not a herd of cows for them to eat multiples a day. <laughs> yeah. And you don't want them around people or livestock that have a chance of getting eaten, you know, for yeah. closer to estates and things like that. Yeah. And I mean most of the dragons are civilized enough to not do that, to not just go off and eat stuff, but the people don't trust them either. Yeah. So it makes people really nervous when they're around. Yep. Well, and these dragons, when she says most of them are civilized enough, it depends on where they're from. They can be super intelligent. I mean, like genius level IQ if we're talking humans. Oh, yeah. They talk. They talk. Yeah. So I don't know if we mentioned that yet because, I mean, we've done this three times, (laughs) but that caught me off guard. That they could talk. How, how well yeah. he could talk. 
Yeah. Like from the A, it was kind of creepy to me because I was mm-hmm. like, I don't know what's going on here. It was still the very beginning of the book. So <laughs> Yeah, and he just talks like it's like it's something to do. This is set in the Napoleonic era, so you are dealing with you know, the muskets and all that good kind of stuff and the ships of the line. If you know what technology like that era is, that's what you're dealing with. There's nothing out of the ordinary except for dragons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if there's a weird noise in there, I did pop my neck and I wasn't paying attention. I'm like making all sorts of noises this time. Like oh, yeah? not giving any shifts, apparently. Sorry I kind of feel that. like we have more energy at this point, actually, than we have on any of the other <laughs> well, versions of this episode. I know. I feel like because we've kind of discussed it, we're like... We're going straight through it. Yeah. Okay. So then... Anyway, dear, did you like it? Yeah, let's go on our recommendation phase. Now, going back to talking about the Napoleonic era thing, this is going to be something we need to talk about. The whole willing suspension of disbelief that you mentioned previously. I I did not just mention it. Yes. I harped upon it. Yes, you <laughs> harped upon it. It's a little bit tough to deal with the fact that even with these dragons... Everything else is, is the, the same. same. There's no change in trade. I mean, the communication is so much faster because these dragons are basically little couriers of mail and messages. Yeah. But there's no further connection. It mentions the different kinds of dragons different countries breed that you, based on what they're saying about the East, like China or Japan, should have... Japan loves trying to take over other countries. Yeah. Why are they still just tiny Japan? I mean, it doesn't necessarily say that, but nothing else is different. And also, Japan loves to take over like China and Korea, and it mentions China. Yeah. Well, it says China has the smartest and prettiest dragons, Mm -hmm. and Japan has the most uh, dragons with special abilities. Yeah, so they should be able to just take... Yeah. Fulfill their dream of owning China. Yeah, or if if China has too many dragons... I think China might have the most dragons, though. Maybe that's why they they couldn't. But either... they also love having empires. Yeah. So China and Japan, though, still don't control North America still, even though, you know, they're cl- as close as the British are. What but- do you think? Shouldn't the Mongols have been able to take over with the dragons they probably had and hold it? You would think so. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Especially, well, I guess the British still have the colonies. So we know for a fact that Britain has the colonies. But even still, yeah. they should have lost the Seven Years' War or the French and Indian War, as we call it, mm-hmm. because if the French have way more dragons... Mm-hmm. And who knew who the, the Americans had? The colonies. Well, they were under British... Well, I didn't mean yeah. the... I meant the natives. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We haven't even talked about... The, what if the natives had... Because they talk about that one of the breeding grounds for the dragons is in, in North America. It's in, like, Nova New, Scotia Newfoundland. Or Newfoundland. Yeah. yeah. So... Oh, can, Canadian provinces are all the same. <laughs> Come on. But, yeah. So, you're going to have to just accept that... Basically, we just started in the Napoleonic era, and everything else was the same except for dragons yeah. throughout world history. Little, and there's only a few parts of the book that really push that into me, that mm-hmm. why is this the same? Other than that, it's mostly my own unwillingness to suspend disbelief of it. So if you can do that, and you have no problem with it, then you'll be great. Yeah. So. And if you don't have degrees in history like I do, and constantly think about things like this then it probably wouldn't bother you either you didn't even bring it up i don't have a, a history degree no you don't and i'm the one that 
that had was the, bothered it, more. Yeah. I don't, it was just something that I thought about and then discarded, I guess, yeah. for me. You were, so. you were able to be like, eh, well, probably because of all your uh, your alternate history ones where they do change one thing, but it makes, like, they go to a certain time and then everything after that will change. Yeah, in mine... So like, maybe a, that's a, a kind speci- of how you were looking at it. Yeah, because in, in the 1642 series, a specific event happens in time. They talk about alternative timelines and, and you know, the multiverse and things mm-hmm. like that. So things ch- branch off at that time period. So maybe that's why you were like, eh, I can handle it. Yeah, maybe so. After that big long rant against the book, it is wildly entertaining and yeah, it's a good book. it is a good book if that's what you want that that's what this is it's not on the same level as rothfuss or jemison the last two that we reviewed or probably even lawrence in terms of the storytelling mm-hmm. but that's not what it's trying to be it's not trying to be high-minded social commentary I mean, I guess there's a little bit of that, but... Yeah, there, there, it was a little bit interesting just the way women were portrayed and how the main character's relationship and view of women changed. It was interesting, but it wasn't groundbreaking. It wasn't anything that you can't get somewhere else. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, he does change his view because, you know, there's specific in- instances where women are necessary in the aerial corpse. And they have the same, you know, level of power as men do. So that is something that is different. But I mean, you still deal with the same level for general society that women, you know, mm-hmm. petite little flowers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so under our, always, we always talk about uh, the appropriate audience and who should and shouldn't read this. You can have a younger teen read this book. It's not too high of a reading comprehension level for them. Or it doesn't have the kind of gratuitous violence or gratuitous sex scenes that some of the other books that we've read will Mm -hmm. have. And in typical fashion of a British period piece, as Cameron has not said it very often in this one as he has in the others, most of the actual interactions are very understated. So it's really just through the narrator's mind that you get the full context of what's going on. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty safe for most people and that's actually one of the things i have a hard time with as to why i don't like those books as much like i only got the nuances of pride and prejudice because i had seen the movie there are a lot of things that aren't outright in the book you have to really read between the lines yeah so in this it's not as much because it's described a lot better like in his thoughts but it's still very proper yeah and i just have to say that, that going back to that i hope this becomes a movie because it is set up very well if it has the proper budget to be just an amazing movie series. Mm-hmm. As we said, there's nine books. I mean, you could go straight up Harry Potter style on this and, and start making series, you know. Yeah. So. Well, and that is another thing about this book that it's the first of nine, but it kind of, I feel like finishing reading it, there's no cliffhanger. There's nothing that's pushing me forward Mm -hmm. so that's a good and a bad thing it's good because then you feel completed but it's also bad because i'm not like oh man i need to read the next book i got what's gonna happen yeah so and i felt that way a lot through this book where it was good but there was nothing like oh i have to finish this chapter nothing was pulling me through it yeah so it's a nice leisurely read maybe if you're on vacation and you have things to do, and you're just reading in between on the beach. But yeah. then later, you're going to go see some ruins, so you don't want to get too into it. <laughs> or, you know, an, a, like a long flight. 
Mm-hmm. I think that I read this book in about eight hours, according mm-hmm. to my Kindle. So if you're flying across the country or overseas, then you could, you know... We're going to have to find some books for oh, geez. our plane flights in June. Yeah. We are heading to Europe in June, so there will be a probably a slight hiatus at some point during that time. Maybe we can try to, like, get a couple. Yeah, maybe. We'll see how our, our time frames go. Katie has been very busy at work, mm-hmm. so we'll see. Okay, I'm giving this a four-ish. <laughs> I say that because I have a tendency to give much higher ratings to books than We're maybe... We're pretty liberal with We're pretty our ratings. Liberal. We're yeah. just tossing out stars to anybody that can write <laughs> a legible sentence. Yeah, I mean... I mean, when I gave a three and a half star to a book that I didn't particularly care for even, I feel like at that point <laughs> I set things a little bit high. So I don't mean this, that the book's not a four-ish, but it's probably more like a three and a half. But I did enjoy the book quite a bit. It is what it is. It is a Hollywood blockbuster style book and not an indie drama. It's not trying to be anything else either, though. She's not trying to to do anything other than what she's doing, making a wildly entertaining action book. Yeah, this is kind of like, it's not Snatch. It's the movie where the guy can't slow down and takes like adrenaline shots or whatever, you know? <laughs> it's not going to make you like want to watch it over and over and over like Snatch. Yeah. It's like, oh, uh, you know, I watched it. It was all right. It was pretty good. But I mean... But Dragons. But Dragons. Yeah. I mean, Brad Pitt, though, I mean, going back to Snatch... Brad Pitt would probably be an amazing Captain Will Lawrence, though. I think he's a little too old these days. Maybe. He could be one of the other Captain. I guess so. Yeah. Or but, a know, voice. Yeah. But, I mean, it would be pretty awesome to hear him as a pikey, though, trying to be Captain Will Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> like dogs. Dogs. Oh, I know. dogs. But then I would also want him to be shirtless, and that really doesn't go with the character. Oh, uh, so. no. That's true. No. That is the one. <laughs> our, our guy is a little upset that his clothes are even wrinkled. So. Oh, yeah, because in the Navy, you carefully fold your stuff into your sea chest in the air corps. They just throw their crap into bags and tie them to the bottom of a dragon. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit rough. I mean, he's the one wearing his proper jacket all pressed and nice when everyone else is in, like, T-shirts. Yeah. Well, I don't think that they actually had T-shirts, but whatever. Yeah. So anyway, I would give it like a three, three and a half. And I, I did truly enjoy the book, but I don't not want to read the next book. Yeah. But there's nothing pushing me to read the next book. Yeah. And even the Prince of Thorns, I wanted to read the next book, even though I didn't enjoy the first book Uh until kind of towards the end. And I'm usually pretty generous with my reviews but I also, just thinking the other books that we've read and reviewed lately, it's, it's I don't like part. it as much. Yeah. yeah. No, it's just not as good. It's, yep. it's good. And I feel like we kind of get that way. Like, we, we talk all this all these things that we don't like, and we're like, oh, but it's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, oh, but the next one's good. Like you said on the uh, Prince of Thorns. You're like, oh, yeah, but the other ones are good. It's worth it. Just keep yeah. going. So. Well, something that just, you know, you have to say is that we're awfully busy with our reading schedule right now trying to put out a podcast every couple weeks and we've been trying to put one out every week for the last you know so that we have just to start just to start i'm not upset about the fact that i can't read the next book in the series for at least a while the next eight books the next eight books yeah because of what we're trying to do Mm -hmm. that's not bothering me that i can't get to it you're not going to try to shove them in in between yeah 
I mean, going back to our last episode, I really want to read the next two books in the Broken Earth trilogy. Oh, yeah. Well, the third one isn't out yet, so... No, I know, but it, we will, be, it will be in August, so... Maybe on our flight... We can get the second one around. Yeah, we can <laughs> read the second one, and then when we get back, we can review that and probably multiple other books that we'll read. All yes. Around. We're going to have to take notes on those ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is what it is. The wild blockbuster, not the deep intellectual indie film. Mm-hmm. All right. Next week will be the last of our every week book reviews. After that, we'll have a week off and then a new one every time so that we have Basically, so I have enough time to read it because I'm much slower than Cameron. Also, Katie has a job that requires her to, at least every once in a while, a lot lately, be either out of town or busy in the evenings. Mm-hmm. And that has truly been the case recently. Yeah, and it's mostly just this part of the year. So it won't be nearly as frequent after this. Yeah. So we'll see. Yep. So as a result... We are having our very first guest on the next week's episode. It is a buddy of mine from college, one of my fraternity brothers. You're definitely, you're going to know who this guy is. His name is Barry. Barry the Bladesmith. Yeah, he's very famous. (laughs) He is just an awesome guy. And his episode, it's already recorded. And I've done some editing on it so far. It is amazing. He has a much better radio voice than I do. And he's the kind of guy who will wear a bolo tie for fun. Yeah. That just has it. A story that I just have to give is when we were in college, we were both doing student teaching. And he one time shaved different triangle shapes into his beard because we were doing a middle school student teaching thing during like geometry yeah during winter term i mean he's the kind of guy that can grow a beard and shave it off at noon and by five o'clock it's already back to a full beard again (laughs) but he actually oh you mean a real man a real man a real beard (laughs) oh (laughs) but yeah so he actually did that i don't think that our supervising teacher was super impressed that he did that but that's Barry. But then the students will be like, equilateral triangle. No, that's the one that was in the middle of his <laughs> chin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'll have Barry. He is going to be doing an old school classic sci-fi book called The Star's My Destination by Alfred Bester. And it was originally named Tiger, Tiger when it was released in 1956. Yep. And that will be pretty obvious that the why he almost went that way if you read the book yeah and i will go ahead and read the good old goodread synopsis yeah in this pulse quickening novel alfred bester imagines a future in which people jaunt a thousand miles with a single thought where the rich barricade themselves in labyrinths and protect themselves with radioactive hitmen and where an inarticulate outcast is the most valuable and dangerous man alive The Star's My Destination is a classic of technological prophecy and timeless narrative enchantment by an acknowledged master of science fiction. There we are. Bam. Bam. Master of science fiction. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. This guy, though, he was really super influential for both the earlier sci-fi, as the book was written in 1956, and the much more famous, probably, cyberpunk of the 80s 
yeah. Yeah, big mm-hmm. time, big time. Neil Gaiman does his the foreword for the book that we're going to read. Yeah, that's actually the only part of the book that I read because it said, oh, foreword by Neil Gaiman. I had to read that part, and it. Yeah. I wanted to read the book. I just didn't have time at all. I had, yeah. I had an event that week, so... Yeah. It is a quick uh, 256 pages long. You can read it very quickly, so we hope you do. If you feel like yelling at us for this episode, uh, telling us we did a great job, I really doubt that, but you never know. <laughs> I mean, hey. Say, why does Katie keep going off topic? Uh, because I've been on this topic for three episodes now, yeah. technically. I mean, and- <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I mean, I even have some friends that listen to this, so... I mean, maybe they'll send me an email say, man, you really suck, Skaggs. You need to get your stuff in gear. Looking at you, Hazen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So if you want to get a hold of us, though, you can do so at nerdbookreview at gmail.com. And our website is nerdbookreview.com. Yes. I have trouble with those, but I managed to get through it this time because our podcast is The Nerdbook Review. So I keep thinking there should be a the in our email. But nobody wants to type those three extra letters. That's Ugh. that's too many letters. Do you not know how the internet works? Ugh, I guess. We're, we're lucky there are vowels in it, <laughs> all right? Yes. I... We could just go license plate style or, you know, like Tumblr, Twitter. Yeah. But they didn't take it far enough, if you ask me and the internet. <laughs> all righty. So once again, nerdbookreview at gmail.com. Feel free to email us and just tell us. What you think. Also, this is our, like, I mean, it's really like our fourth episode, but it feels like our seventh because of how many times we've recorded <laughs> this one. So, if you feel like you have enough knowledge of us and how you feel about us to give us a review, please do that, whether it's good or not. I mean, obviously, we would prefer it's positive, but we'll take what you'll give us. Yes. It's actually a huge deal to have enough reviews to... Have them show on, say, iTunes or Stitcher or wherever it's being listened to. You have to have a certain number of reviews before they will start putting you on their, like, even their what's new list. You need, I think it's five for Stitcher and maybe the same for iTunes. So, without reviews, we will not be seen. So, if you feel like you've heard enough, then feel free to do so. If not, hopefully we'll be putting out a few more (laughs) <laughs> before this thing crashes and burns. So. Yeah, and I mean, we are just doing this as a hobby because it's fun and we don't talk about books as much as we read the same ones and we don't normally read them at the same time. So it's kind of fun to just do it all at once. But because we're doing it even as a hobby, we still want feedback. Yeah. It would be great to hear from people. So Yeah. Well, I mean, the reason that I initially wanted to do this is because... Even though we read the same books, we almost never talked about the books that we read. We have probably read 50 of the same books and talked about only a few more than what we've talked about here Mm -hmm. on the podcast. Unless it's an amazing book like Name of the Wind or something like that, we probably read the same book, say, oh yeah, did you like it? Yep, I liked it. Or no, I didn't. And that's as far as we go. So it's Mm kind of nice to be able to actually talk about what we felt about the book. So mm-hmm. that's why we would encourage others to do the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we will even read your emails on the air as long as they are somewhat radio safe. We'll prob- we, can, we can blip like ourselves. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to get into like effects. I'm just going to go. 
<laughs> you can even you can talk and i'll just make a sound over while you talk all right about that <laughs> okay well we'll finally stop talking now so have a good one have a great week thank you I like how I thumbsed up like <laughs> like a child that doesn't know that the person on the other line of the phone can't hear, can't see you. <laughs> oh, also, Katie has... Oh, jeez. That was quite the burp. <laughs>